0: Brother Richard last time uh, preached for us uh, out of this passage and um, he covered verses 12 through 21. I'm going to cover verse 12 through 17. Notice that we aren't going forward. We are actually going backward um, in our uh, attempted at Romans. Um, and uh, he, you're going to see... Uh, Hopefully how these fit in and how he served us so well last time to afford the opportunity for a message like this this time. So let me read for us out of Romans chapter 12 uh, down to... Sorry, Romans chapter 5. We'll be skipping a lot. Romans chapter 5 uh, from verse 12 all the way to verse 17. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord and ask for help.
1: Father, this is
0: an awesome opportunity that Your Spirit, He has afforded us. He's afforded us by working throughout the ages to keep Your Word for Your people. We were created by your word we are recreated made new by your word you form your church by your word we trust not in any man's wisdom or cleverness but we trust in your word and so father we pray that this word delivered by your spirit that exalts the work of your son would land in our hearts by your spirit's work in our hearts today Father, I pray that we will see the desperateness of our situation because of the sin in Adam, a sin to which we contribute. And yet, Father, I pray that You would be so kind not only to reveal that, but by Your Spirit reveal the amazing hope found in the work of the second Adam, Your Son, Jesus. I pray, Father, that we, would turn in love and adoration and following and in worship to Jesus Christ. Father, for any person here who is not yet aware of their sinful condition, would Your Spirit be so kind as to illuminate their hearts and show them their need for Jesus. And Father, would You show them Jesus as bright and sure as He is that they would turn in saving faith this morning. We ask all these things to be accomplished by you, Father, to exalt the name of your Son, Jesus, our good and gracious King, and that your Spirit would make it happen. Amen. I want you to imagine with me the story of Osef. So Osef is 17 years old, and he lives in a very uncivilized nation by, ruled by a ruthless dictator. Most unfortunate for Osef and his six siblings, Osef's father happened to be a miserable drunk. When Osef was three years old, his life forever changed when his father in a drunken stupor perpetrated some very shameful acts in their village. Given that Osef's country has zero tolerance for such misdeeds, within days of that wretched night, Osef's dad was executed and Osef's mom and family were sent to a horrible prison camp. This is where Osef has lived ever since. At the age of 17, the idea of any other fate than the life in the prison camp never crossed Osef's mind. That is, until the day that everything changed. As Osef tells it, the guards called him to the cafeteria earlier than usual. That's usually not a good thing. But Osef got even more worried as he arrived at the cafeteria and there he found his mom and his siblings and they had never been in the room together since those 14 years prior. They were all wise enough to know not to try to talk to each other and certainly not embrace. And then the warden came in and told him, follow me. Now Osef was greatly concerned. He walked them down a the road to the front of the camp past three security gates. This must have been the way that Joseph entered into the camp 14 years ago, but at three years old at the time, he, he doesn't see this as familiar. And then the warden ordered the main gate open. He pointed the family to the exit. He pointed them to a van. As they approached the van, a driver emerged. He had food. He had clothes. He had water. He loaded them in a van and explained to them they were about to board a flight to the U.S. There, a purchase home, jobs, and paid school waited them. Evidently, about a year prior, a very wealthy businessman in the U.S. came across a reporter who had just so happened to spend six months in Osef's country, just so happened to be in Osef's village, and just so happened to take up residence in the old house where Osef's family lived. Curious about the history of the home, the reporter asked the villagers. The villagers told him the story of Osef and his family. The reporter verified all the facts, even verified that the family was still at the prison camp. The businessman read an article written by the reporter and sent him back with a secret team and a lot of cash. paid off a lot of people and successfully orchestrated the plot to extract Osef's family. Now in the US, Osef's family is safe, together, and given the abundant funds afforded by this businessman, they financially are set for decades to come. I'm guessing that you, like me, see very little resemblance between Osef's life and your own. But it's my hope that after our time together, we will see that our lives greatly resemble the life of Osef. In fact, I'm hoping we'll see that Osef's story is the model story of every believer. Here's some important facts about Osef's story. Fact number one, Osef's entire existence was greatly shaped by two men. One whose foolish, selfish action brought peril to Osef. One whose selfless generosity saved Osef. Two, Osef's deeds or lack of deeds did nothing to contribute to his life in bondage, nor contribute to his salvation from it. Brother Richard did a great service in his full treatment of this passage two weeks ago. And he really has given me the freedom to not try to cover the entire passage. But instead, I'm going to focus. I'm going to focus on the act of Adam, the act of Jesus, and the centrality of these two acts to Christianity. So, verse 12, which all this should be, all the verses and all should be right in your handout if you want to follow it. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Four principles that I want us to see in verse 12 together. First principle. First, by one man, namely Adam, sin entered the world. Sin entered the world by one man, Adam. Notice he does not say sins entered the world. But sin entered. With Adam's premier act of disobedience, the state of sin, the nature of sin, entered into humanity. Sin existed prior to this. We know that because the Bible tells us in 1 John that the devil has always been sinning since the very beginning. But prior to Adam's disobedient act, the humans were not infected with a condition of sin, a condition of chronic rebellion against God. The result. This was the result of Adam's rebellion. It's key. Understand here that sin is a condition or a state. It's not mere actions. Osef's father's transgression left him in a prison camp. So also our first father's transgression has left us in a dire situation. Like Osef, who was accustomed to the prison camp, that he barely knew any difference, we have now never lived in a world in which is broken by this condition of which we barely know any difference, of which we often think is normal. But the Bible says this condition, this state of sin, it's anything but normal. It's messed up. And that's to put it lightly. We were made... To have perfect, consistent, harmonious life with God. We were to reside with God such that the Bible says He would walk in the cool of the garden with us. These days I exceptionally appreciate the cool part. We were made to trust each other. We were made to love each other. We were made to enjoy our labors. We were made to find unending joy in our Maker. Instead, we struggle to see God in our daily lives. We distrust one another. We mistreat one another. Our labors are painstaking and our lives are sprinkled with moments of joy only to be interrupted by pain and turmoil. For all, for all intents purposes, we, like Osef, are bound in a prison camp, the camp of sin. Second principle from Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Death came through sin. Prior to that fateful act of Adam, there was no death. Now just hear that. Prior to the act of Adam, there was no death. But when sin came, death came with it. Death is the sure consequence of sin. The prognosis of every case of sin is death. It is the most certain prognosis in human history. It's almost unimaginable for us to think of a world without death. We can barely fathom the idea. We've all known about it since a young age. Our five-year-old daughter, Salem, she's got many things that she's yet to experience. There's a lot she's never even heard about. But at five years old, she knows about death. But again, before Adam's act of disobedience, there was no sin and therefore... There was no death. There was no death because, this is key, there was nearness to God. Life is directly connected to God. The state of sin is defined by being disconnected from God. So the rightful consequence, the rightful result of sin is death. Third principle... From verse 12, we are told that death spread to all men. So, death came to Adam, but it spread to all men. So, how do we know that the condition of, spread, of, of sin spread to all men? I'll well, remember the sure prognosis of sin is what? Death. Well, we know it spread to all men because all men experience death. That's the most obvious point in a funeral service. The fact that our loved one lives before us without life, it's a sure diagnosis, it's a sure witness that he or she is infected with sin. It's a sign that he or she has been affected by the act of Adam's disobedience. This is true of everyone who dies, even in the case of a baby who dies in the womb of her mother. As Christians, we don't have to ask if that baby's a sinner. Her death is declared the fact. Even when we know that she never had a chance to sin. That doesn't mean that God can't redeem such a life just as easily as He can redeem us. But He'll have to do so by changing her from identified with Adam to moving her to identified with Christ. Every person that dies does so Because he or she is a sinner born under Adam. The fourth principle is found in the last three words of the verse. Because all sinned. Paul says death spread to all because all have sinned individually. Each of us finds ourselves in the state of sin because of Adam's sin. But each of us continues to sin just like Adam. While Adam's sin plunged us into a state of sin, we each, every one of us, individually bear responsibility for our own sin. This is probably best felt um, when, uh, in the eyes of a, of a brand new parent. Uh, the Hoosers are about to be grandparents for the first time, and their daughter's about to have her first grandchild. There's going to come this moment. Um, and the, it'll, it'll happen a lot sooner for the parent. Um, but there's going to come this moment when the, pa- the parent is going to be holding the baby and the parent's going to think, maybe we've actually created the odd one. Right? Maybe ours isn't affected by Adam. Now this does not last long. It does not last long at all. In fact, one person has said that there is a viper in that diaper. Right? <laughs> said that that God made him uh, so uh, cute so you wouldn't kill him. Made him so small so he wouldn't kill you, right? So there, there is that moment that we all have to settle in on, especially us who grew up in a happy Graham generation, where we have to go, yeah, he's messed up, just like me. Every person, all of us have sinned. All of us are infected by Adam. Nobody's making anyone who isn't. But that has to lead us to a question. I think it's a question we would all ask. How is it fair? How is it that the act of Adam, which occurred far before I was born, has made it so I am born guilty and condemned of sin? Doesn't seem fair. Well, let me first say... I think that's a fair question. Four quick responses to how it is that it could, in any way, be just that I'm considered guilty because of the sin of Adam. First, Richard did a great job explaining this last time. The Bible seems to present the idea of imputed guilt, or we might even say incorporated guilt. Adam was not just our father, but he was our representative. As such, he represented every human born under Adam in terms of what we would do. So replace Adam with any child of Adam and you get the same result. Second response to the question of how it is fair that I am considered guilty because of the sin of Adam. So we just discussed in the very fourth principle of chapter 12, or verse 12, we each bear responsibility for our own sin. So while our sinful state can be traced back to Adam, the Bible still indicates that we individually are responsible for sin. Third response to the question of how is it fair that we are held or we are condemned by Adam's sin? Well, the Paul points us. Uh, Paul's point in this verse is not to answer that question. Instead. He is speaking as if we all know, given we all sin and we're all subject to death. It doesn't mean that we can't ask the question, but it does mean that we might not find the perfect answer. In other words, the Bible doesn't seek to perfectly answer that question. Fourth, let us be very careful of the standard we set. That is, if we ask the question... How is it fair that what Adam did counts on my behalf? We may set a standard we don't want. As we shall see, the whole point of this passage is to show that just as one man's single act made us all guilty, so also one man's single act will make us all righteous. If we are... or if we are going to consider one standard unacceptable, then we have to consider the other standard unacceptable as well.
1: So like Yosef,
0: who is imprisoned for his father's act of disobedience, we have each been imprisoned under the rule of sin because of our first father's act of disobedience. I ask, I implore, that we see this as big of a deal as it is. Every person born under Adam is imprisoned under the consequences of sin. So many people think of sin only in terms of disobeying God's rules. I want you to make sure, because this is a big point of what Paul's about to do here. Many people think of sin as simply disobeying God's rules. That's what sin is, many people think. Paul wants to go on and help us to see that the power of sin, the power of the consequence of Adam's act would be felt even if there were no commands of God to be obeyed. That's how powerful the problem of sin is. Even if there were no commands of God to be obeyed, we would still be in a condition of sin. He argues for this. Recall that the law, such as the Ten Commandments, they came with Moses. But there's a long gap between Adam and Moses. At least many centuries. So, there are a lot of people who were born after Adam, but before Moses. You've got to get this in your mind to catch the next part of it. Adam's here, he dies, Moses comes later. We won't argue about how long. But a long time. So there's many people who come after Adam and come before Moses. Moses. So there there are many people who lived after Adam before the commandments were given. So you got this subset of people here. Get them in your mind. There are people who lived before there were the commandments of God. They lived after Adam, so after the effects of Adam, but before the commandments of God are given. This is key to catching Paul's argument. If sin is nothing more than breaking the commandments of God, if that's all sin is and there are no commandments then it stands to reason that all those people who lived before the commandments would have never sinned. Moreover, if they did not sin, they would not have died. Because death's directly connected to sin. Paul, chapter 5, verse 13, picks this up. Beautiful argument. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Paul acknowledges that sin is in the world without the commandments. When he says that sin is not counted, he means it's not enumerated, it's not itemized. So if a person's sins are not itemized, does that mean that he or she is not under sin? Verse 14 makes it clear that's not the case. Verse 14, Yet, yet, even though they're not itemized, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So Adam died because he transgressed a specific commandment. But none of these who lived, un- lived after Adam and before Moses had any specific command to break. But death still what? reigned, which means they were still infected with sin. Of course they were infected with sin. They all felt the pains and struggles of life after the fall. They all felt what it was like when they were distanced from God. They all felt what it was like to distrust others and hurt others. They all felt sickness and sorrow and disappointment. They all felt distance from God. Of course there was sin. And so Paul, just so beautifully by the Spirit, he has led us. It's as if he's trapped us into a corner. And here's his main point. It's screaming at us. Our problem is not simply that we break God's commands, but that we are part of the human race identified with Adam, identified with sin. That's our chief problem. It's who our first father was. Our lives bear witness to this. is we are hurt by others, we hurt others. Our work is frustrating and flawed. So we attempt to raise children who are infected by sin and we feel unfulfilled and long for something more. In that prison camp, Osef's chief problem was not his work ethic. His skills or his intelligence. Osef's main problem was that he was his father's son. Christianity says... That our chief problem is not our behavior. It's not our lack of behavior. It is not even our motives. It actually is not even our heart. Our chief problem is that we are our father's children. We are of the race of Adam. And so Paul explains, the law could never clean this up. It's an identity issue. Somehow, we need somebody to change our identity. Like Osef needed someone on the outside to work a miracle on his behalf. We need someone on the outside to work a miracle on our behalf. That part of the process is God opening our eyes to see how troubled our situation is. Just imagine, upon hearing the news in the van, Osef would have responded, Huh? No way I'm leaving this place. I absolutely love this place. I mean, I have great friends with the staff. I mean, that's ridiculous. But that's the way many in our world, under the curse of Adam, believe. They're duped into thinking... This is all there is, and it's actually really not that bad. We can make it better. That's until some catastrophe or tragedy hits. And only then do they want an explanation for how, well, how could God ever let this happen? Notice who gets the blame. We need the help of God to help us see this isn't normal. It isn't right. It is messed up. And we are made for something more. Verse 15. But the free gift, it's not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, so much more, so much more, have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So here Paul turns to the rescue. But the free gift... The word gift, that's the word for grace. How are Christians rescued? How are Christians rescued? By a gift. By grace. He says the free gift, it's not like the trespass. So here he begins to contrast the act of Adam and the act of Jesus. He said many died through Adam's disobedience. But the free gift of Jesus on the cross not only reverses the curse of death, but it actually goes further. Like Osef's rescuer not only got him released from the prison camp, he he went on and removed him from poverty, from a dictator-ruled nation to live in a free country with ample funds and support. So also Jesus has released us from the chains of death and promised us a life like we've actually never dreamed about it. It's abundant. Verse 16, he continues the comparison. In the free gift, it's not like the result of that one man's sin, for judgment following one man's trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses, that brings justification. Adam's transgression left us condemned and guilty. But the gift of the cross, it erases all the guilt and so much more. Jesus didn't just hit the reset button and return us to the garden where we may repeat the same offense. No, no, far better. Jesus gives us a new nature. Like Adam imputed sin, a sin nature, Jesus imputes to us a brand new nature. We stand forever justified, forever right before God when we are in Jesus. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, oh, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Because of Adam's sin, death reigned over him. Death beat Adam. This is one of the main reasons why burial is the right picture for Christians in death. As we watch our loved ones descend under the earth, and then the earth is replaced over them. Just think of that picture. Body goes down into the earth, and then we just let the earth cover them up. Well, think back in the garden. What did God say to Adam about the earth? What did he tell him to do to it? Subdue it. It's the perfect picture. Because as the earth comes right over the top of our loved one's grave, what just happened? The exact opposite. It's the most perverse picture you can imagine. The earth just subdued man. Man was made to subdue the earth and earth just subdued man. Death reigned over Adam. Paul says, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, then he continues, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Whereas through Adam, death reigned instead of Adam reigning, how much more in Christ will those who identify Him actually enjoy reigning in life we will reign like Adam was intended to reign and we'll never have to worry about forfeiting that right that's what's given to us in Jesus but notice the gift is not for everyone though the sin of Adam was affected all this gift this ransom is not for all the audience for the gift is named the gift is exclusive to those in verse 17 who receive the abundance of grace and free gift again Osef and his family if they get in the van they had to get in the van they had to the desire to leave the camp they had to get on a plane and fly to a new country so everyone who receives Jesus must first see their state of brokenness and sin. you got to find yourself in the prison camp. And so everyone must wish to leave that state and find Jesus as a suitable rescuer. Let's return to the two facts we observed about Osef's story. Osef's entire existence was greatly shaped by two men. One whose foolish action brought peril to Osef. One whose selfless generosity save Joseph. For every Christian, our lives are massively affected by two men's actions, Adam and Jesus. Every person on the planet has been affected by Adam's sin. Every person identifies with Adam, each and every person. But this is why Jesus was born of a woman not from the seed of man. He's an outsider. He was born to a virgin for the exact reason he would not be infected with Adam's sin. And so while fully tempted, just like Adam, Jesus never failed. He never wavered. We cannot help that we have been born of Adam. But we can believe in the rescue of Jesus. This brings us to the second fact about Osef's story. Osef's deeds, or lack of deeds, did nothing to contribute to his life in bondage, nor contribute to his salvation from it. Osef did not get himself in the prison camp. His father's misdeeds secured that. But so also, Osef did not get himself out. The grace of another did that. This is where our story is a little bit different than Osef's story. While we like Osef, cannot contribute to our rescue. We certainly have contributed to our state of bondage. Each of us bears responsibility for our sin, and therefore each faces death. As I've thought about this story of Osef, which I made up, um, don't please don't go searching the internet for it and call me a liar. Um, <laughs> Fake news. Um, Anyway, um, I really did think about this imaginary person a lot. And it amazed me. I had the hardest time thinking about this situation. And I just kept, why? Why is this so weird for me to have to think about? I hated it. I deeply hated this story. I know why I hated it. Osef was completely helpless. Think about it. He's helpless. He's completely at the whim of another. Every Christian should feel as helpless as Osef. Every one of us should come to a point where we feel just as helpless, out of control, hopeless as Osef. And only then do we see the rescue that comes in Jesus. We are those who have been forever affected by Adam. but We are those who have been forever changed by the love of Jesus. The right response is to live in, enjoy, find hope and life in Christ. What is the right response for Osef? Land in the U.S.? simply enjoy your life take off it's fine good for you no prison camp I mean whoa look at all the stuff I think we would all say no the first thing is you go find this benefactor you get to know who they are find out who secured your, your rescue if Osef has reason to get to know his benefactor we have a thousand times more reason To get to know ours, Jesus. He has no bounds in His resources. No bounds in His love. And His promise to give us what our hearts desperately need. Peace with God. To be near God. I'll close by pointing you to the first two verses of chapter 5. This is how Paul started this entire thing. This is an argument to support that. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God because of God's grace. It is our rescue. We have hope as we await all the rewards of the rescue in our identity in Christ. But we're not there yet. We still live in a world broken by Adam's sin. We still live in flesh affected by Adam's sin. The right response is to get in Jesus. To get in His love. To get in his people. To be in his mission. And to be in his kingdom.